Hey everyone, I'm Rebecca Lloyd, the founder of This Independent Life, and this is the This Independent Life podcast. I'll be shining a light on people working to support personal independence for all, across industries and in their own unique way. Through inspiring conversations, storytelling, and real talk, you'll learn how to trust the process, how to uncover and pursue your true purpose, and how to embrace your independence and thrive in this independent life. Let's jump in. Alrighty, welcome Hannah to the This Independent Life podcast. It's lovely to have you. I'm very, very excited and honoured to be one of the first guests. Yay. Um, So we're going to start at the beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up and did your career and life path follow what you expected from what you studied in school or university? Um, no, <laughs> not at all. So when I was younger, I wanted to be an actress. Um, I just, I loved English and theatre at school. And I went to a performing arts sixth form, which was incredible. But to be honest, I was really struggling with my mental health at that time. And it was hard to balance all of those things. I didn't have any strong sense of worth or identity and was just all kind of overwhelmed to be honest. And then I also realized how many people wanted to be in acting and felt like there were so many other people who were incredible and um, kind of just went into survival mode, to be honest, rather than being courageous and ambitious. And then when I left school, I had, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. (laughs) I had had shit job after shit job and I wasn't intending to go to uni because I was so like over school and education and everything. Um, And then after my third or fourth job in a year and it was just relentless and not stimulating for me at all, I changed my mind and decided I would go to uni. So I applied in July and started in September. I was a late admission and I did a fairly generic course, which was business studies and marketing communication. Um, felt quite broad and absolutely loved it like fell in love with learning for the first time I mean I used to like I when I say I loved English like I loved English and I think you know one day maybe in my 50s or 60s I would love to do an English degree but I had such a difficult relationship with school and I really found it frustrating having rules that didn't seem to have substance behind them. And so I ended up kind of being discarded as this like rebellious kid and not really nurtured. And then at uni, I had a second chance where I just, I don't know, I just stepped it up a level. I felt like I'd chosen to be there rather than there by obligation. And I loved working hard. So that was amazing. And actually before the acting thing like I wasn't like some of the people I went to school with were so singular visioned with their ambition and their dream that it was like a non-negotiable and most of those people are acting today I guess I had a few dreams so like I also wanted to write because of my love of English lit and then excuse me my other one was working in fashion so since I was When I started high school at 11, like I always dressed super different to all of my friends. Um, I would get comments like, (laughs) like, you look great. I I would never wear that or something. It was like almost a, a compliment and also like fear of pushing boundaries. But I loved it. And I did a tiny bit of fashion modeling when I was a teenager and just anything I could get close to the industry, just 
excited me so much. So then when I left, when I graduated, I had a job my dad's friend gave me, which I hated. Again, another shit job that just... What I will say about crap jobs is that they help you understand what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So it's not <laughs> it's not a wasted endeavor. And then, this is so funny. So I, everyone I went to school with knew how much I love fashion. It was all over my dorm rooms, you know, it was all over me. It was everything I was obsessed with. And a girl I went to school with, so funny enough, it was my maid of honor is one of her other uh, bridesmaids. Like we were good friends, but I wasn't one of her best friends. She won tickets to a fashion show at London Fashion Week through Instagram. She's an incredible artist and actually went on to work for McQueen for like 10 years. Such a beautiful, intricate artist. And so I think they chose her because of her eye. And so she won two tickets and she messaged me out of everyone and said, I would love to take you because I know how much it would mean to you. And so I went to the show and then we got to have a drink afterwards, like backstage as part of it. And I went up to every girl that was wearing black with a clipboard and said, I will work for free. What can I do to get in on this? And the first person I spoke to was the wrong person. She kind of looked at me like, yeah, 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 sure. Just email reception. And I was like, okay, no, (laughs) that's not good enough. Went up to another girl and she gave me her business card and was like, yeah, great. Email us on Monday. And I did. I had two interviews to be an intern, which feels very extreme, uh, to work for free. But I got the internship and I worked my ass off and I, they made, there wasn't a job going, but they made me a job when I finished and they gave me a slightly higher salary than they gave all the other interns that got jobs. And yeah, that was the beginning of my decade in PR. So when you got this job backstage, it was a PR job because when you say that to me, not knowing anything about the fashion industry, to me, that would say you would be doing like runnering. Okay. Yeah. So I wasn't clear. Sorry. So it was a PR agency who were running the fashion show. So now obviously that I've done it myself, that means inviting all the guests, doing the front, like the VIP front row, making sure all the fashion editors are there and then making sure the logistics work. So it's not event production and it's not casting, but it's making sure it all runs smoothly and that your client, the designer, speaks to the right journalists and, you know, Vogue get their quote from the designer and all of that runs smoothly. Yeah, they were there just probably making sure their guests had everything they needed and that everything was ticking along nicely. And they were one of the leading fashion agencies globally. They had offices in London, New York and LA. I mean, I knew none of this at the time. I was just (laughs) like, let me in. Um, Yeah, I figured it all out. I worked really, really hard. The hardest I've ever worked in my life, which will, I'm sure we'll come on to. Mm -hmm. But it was an incredible experience. And there were a lot of pinch me moments. You know, my first event I worked on was the Elle Style Awards. And my favorite designer at the time was um, a French designer called Isabelle Morant. I got to be her chaperone for the night, which was fucking awkward, to be honest, because she didn't really engage with the awards. She just sat outside and smoked with her little (laughs) gang. She was like so Parisian and too cool for school. So there's me like interning, so awkward and shy, just hovering. And she was like, mon petit chaperon, it's okay. I'm not going anywhere. And I was like, okay, but I'm not allowed to not have eyes on you. So I'm just gonna stand here. But yeah, it was surreal to meet her and witness other runway shows be a part of 
inviting and um I remember that when I did my first front row by myself and just all these amazing experiences so it was a dream come true I I remember when I wanted to leave the industry saying actually to that friend that was my maid of honor you know I just I don't know what else to do I just know that I don't want to do this and I feel so stuck and she said think about 14 year old Hannah and how big your dreams were to work in fashion and you've done it like it's not been wasted like you completed a goal of yours and now you've got new ones and that's okay and and that's how it should be in fact my journey has been a big squiggly line I heard someone say and I'm gonna butcher it but someone say that when you look at a butterfly you just admire their beauty you don't criticize it because it flies in loops and it didn't fly in a straight line I feel like for me that's been my career and evolution as a person as a woman as who I am and proud of to be today it's been a really squiggly line but I love the result and where I'm at now so I wouldn't regret and I wouldn't criticize myself for the squiggliness of my trajectory Um, I love that I love that I find it really interesting that before you were saying how you feel like you didn't have the courage and ambition but then you were able to just go up to a bunch of random people at a show okay I with the acting thing it's a funny one I didn't I just was in a really bad place at school I don't know I didn't have I was never underconfident to talk like I've always my parents have I've always grown up in a home where like at the dinner table from a young age you're invited to be involved in the conversation as an adult almost or you're encouraged to or expected to even and I've got three siblings um we're all really different our conversations are very lots of diverse opinions and my mum she moved over from Australia and didn't have the foundation that she then gave me and her goal was to make sure I never felt less than in any room I walked into and that's why she chose the types of schools that I went to which I didn't love but I recognized the reason that she chose them and actually what I did get from them was exactly that and so I am confident to talk to any type of person from any walk of life and so that has been a huge asset for me but at the time of of wanting to pursue acting I think you've got to want it and be able to push through the droughts and the rejection and da 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 and I just that wasn't my thing that I wanted hard enough I loved performing and if I could have jumped across all of the hard work the the shit years that creatives go through to get to the bit where you just get to perform every day I would have stuck with it but I didn't I didn't have it in me to push through all that hard bit so that means it wasn't the right path for me and that's okay but the fashion thing I didn't want to work in PR necessarily. I didn't really know what aspect of fashion I wanted to work in. I just wanted to work in fashion. And it was not like a trite dream. It was like, it's just who I was. I lived and breathed it. You know, it's what you put on your body every single day. And I loved that version of self-expression. Even when I was going through my hard times, you could see that in the way that I presented. Yeah, I just just loved it. And it was something that I also got from my mum. She's from a small town outside of Perth in Western Australia, but she's bold and eccentric with her dress sense and pushes boundaries of her dress sense and has always had so much fun with it. And so I've just, you know, watched that. And I think it's just in you, like it either is or isn't. We met one of my cousins when my 
when I was like 17 and she was already, I don't know, I guess she would have been like 30. And she is a mini version of my, or not a mini, the same, but she <laughs> is like another a replica of my mom. She grew up not knowing my mom and wow. similar haircuts, similar, like really similar dress sense. Like I just believe like it's in you to be adventurous in that particular way or it's not. And it was in me and it was something I needed to pursue. And so that's why it was easy I guess I was willing to do the hard graft on that aspect where I wasn't with the acting. That's why, yeah, I could I could push through it in that way. I love that. And then before we move on, I just have one more question. When you talked about English, I feel like your eyes really lit up. Yeah. I would love to know like where that passion comes and why you love English so much. Because I, again, I went down the science route. I was terrible at English. At least I was told I was terrible mm. at English. So I'm always really interested to hear why people like those kind of subjects, especially as someone who it sounds like maybe didn't love school, which again, I can yeah. relate to as well. So yeah. I'm just curious. When I was quite little... We had, I'm going to go really far back, but I'll try and keep it succinct. So my mum booked a babysitter when my brother was a baby and I was three. It turned out to be this babysitter's first ever night at the agency, but she was sick. So she called her mum and was like, mum, I don't want to lose my spot in the agency. Please, will you go? So the agency doesn't catch wind of me flaking on my first (laughs) job. So her mum came and her mum was this incredible, when I say eccentric, like the most eccentric person academic she translated russian documents for like the government or something spoke seven languages and was just the most incredible person so she ended up being our babysitter till we didn't need babysitting anymore and she was not a tv person so when we were playing in the summer she would take us outside and we would act out books so i was acting out jane Eyre and talking about mrs rochester in the attic and all this before i would have been able to read jane Eyre. and so by the time i got to high school and we were reading jane Eyre in it i was like i've never opened this book but i know the story inside out and i just loved the storytelling and being absorbed in a book like i remember queuing outside the bookshop in my village to get the next harry potter in the summer which i know loads of people maybe that aren't that into reading still loved harry potter but i would sit in my bedroom and just read 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 and there is also a romanticism to loving reading and i think i definitely fell into that kind of artistic poetry and the romanticism around someone who identifies as loving books um that was a driver too but I also had some great English teachers and they were the only ones who didn't feel like, I felt like they hadn't drank the Kool-Aid of the culty school rule book. They just were there to empower and engage young people and disseminate this knowledge and this opportunity to learn. And I felt seen in my English classes where I didn't feel seen in the other ones. I just, yeah, I loved it. And I love writing, whether it's journaling or I write, you know, I've written a first draft of a, memoir type book I did a little bit of writing at the start of the year for a publication like it's kind of it's another dream I haven't fully realized yet but I love writing I love reading so much so that at my hen party it's so funny we did a Mr and Mrs game and they um interviewed like asked my husband fiance at the time a bunch of questions and then you answer them trying to guess what they'll say and they asked what would be three things that she would take to a desert island I said like my favorite singer's album or like music, Vegemite. (laughs) And I can't remember what the third thing was. And he said, a book. 
a journal to write in, or no, like a, a book to read and a book to write in and something else. And I was like, oh my God, he's right. He knows me better than me. Aww. But that is it. Like that is, yeah, I just, I just love it. I love it. And I would love to learn more forever a student. I love that for so many reasons. That's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I love it. Well. <laughs> so from that then, and I guess you touched on it a little bit, what inspired you to do what you do now and how does what you're doing support independence for women and girls? So what I do now is um, I'm the founder of the Actualization Academy, which is helping people to actualize, you know, that higher self through self-esteem, through career. I'm really focused on work-life harmony. Um, and I do all of this through coaching. I'm a profess- professional performance and life coach. I focus on self-development and then I also run workshops, trainings, and I deliver talks within businesses. Yeah, looking at it from a more business centric angle, but always focusing on those human aspects. And how I got there is through my own experience of when I began in my career in fashion, I worked too hard. Then the only way I knew how to exhale was through partying and like destructive, I call them like, yeah, exhalations, the way to kind of counterbalance the overworking. Then that became the dominating force in my life where I was doing too much of that and not enough work. But I am a work person. So then I was losing an identity in that. Then I decided to clean up my act and do better. And then I got really, really ill. So my nervous system had basically been fried and within your central nervous system, you have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. And they are basically your ability to go from fight or flight to then coming back down to rest and digest and kind of restore. Um, And that's where you wanna be most of the time. Fight and flight obviously has a place and you need it, but it should be the anomaly and like a spike and then you come back down. So I had fried mine so much so that I was at fight or flight 100% of the time and my nervous system just could not go anymore which created an autoimmune illness and I ended up hospitalized in a wheelchair couldn't walk for I couldn't walk for three months I was collapsing every single day and then it was on and off for two years that I was extremely weak and on the topic of your podcast like lost all my independence so that was a huge learning opportunity, a huge chapter of growth for me and a huge reckoning for me to just completely change my priorities. Someone who had had their job as so much of their identity to be able to not work. I then had to figure out who the hell I was if I didn't work in that industry. Yeah, while I was sick, I did a lot of introspection. I did the work. They talk about the work, I did it. Um, I still do it. And I built from the bottom up an understanding of who I am as a soul, as a person on this earth to be of service. Like what is my purpose? And I built a self-esteem rather than an ego. I learned so much and I wouldn't undo. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through. Actually having referenced having mental health struggles in my teens, I had the worst battle because... I was in my mid twenties, I'd moved to Australia. I was like supposed to be living the dream and I was stuck in a bedroom looking at the sun outside thinking, am I ever gonna be able to walk outside and enjoy that ever again? I lost hope for a while, but I found it again. 
And the journey that I've been on has just been so incredible, which took me through to just not settling. And I, I, I did the fashion thing for about seven years and then um, I started doing more luxury lifestyle rather than fashion. But it took me a while to fully exit. So I was kind of straddling both for a while. And all in all, I worked in luxury PR for 10 years, but it's a environment that creates the experience that I had. I'm not the only one. Okay, so I say that to say that I had for a long time wanted to leave, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And during or recovering from being unwell and going back into the workforce, I learned a lot of tools and I realized that health is wealth. Without it, I can do nothing else. And it has to be the priority, the number one. But I'm also someone who loves indulgence and joy and pleasure. So it was about learning how to, yeah, harmonize is such a great word for me. The joy, the thrill seeking, the pushing of boundaries, yeah, the pleasure of life with sustainable health, with my extremely high work ethic and ambition and drive. So how can all those three things be well nourished that leave me as a content and satiated version of myself. So I learned those skills the hard way and I figured them out and I, you know, I sought a lot of help. I didn't invent any of these things. And I was still searching what is the next thing. I just didn't know. And I don't know why it wasn't that long ago, but for the life of me, I cannot remember how I came across life coaching, but I decided, (laughs) so I had this thought for so many years of like, I'm 26, I can't start again. I'm 28, I don't want to start from the bottom. And then it was after I turned 30 and I was like, fuck, I'm only 30. I've worked for, okay, that's, you know, 10 years, but I've potentially like minimum got another like 35 years to go, probably more, let's be honest. So actually, no, now is exactly the time that I should make a change. And retrospectively, I realized like you never start from the bottom again because you have transferable skills and it just doesn't work like that, I don't believe. So I did loads of research and because it's an unregulated industry, I really wanted to get qualified, even though you don't need to, but I'm sure you've got from this, education is really important to me. So I did a lot of research on what was the right course to do, did a diploma alongside working and then incorporated it into my workplace. So I loved mentoring and yeah, just being a guide for the juniors because I felt really passionately about the pitfalls of the industry. And I remember actually when I left the agency in Sydney, when I moved back to London, I got two cards from two of the junior girls and they were so sweet. Like one made me cry so much because they had appreciated the investment I'd made into them that I didn't have to. And so I realized like that is a calling for me. That is my purpose. And the life coaching just really is a platform to be able to do that. So yeah, my last job, I then became a director of culture and I was doing like, I ran the training program and I was doing coaching with the juniors and that kind of thing. And then I just realized I really didn't want to be doing any of the client work. I only wanted to be doing that. (laughs) So I kind of took that to the end of the road um, and launched the Actualization Academy. And then today what that looks like is Yes, I work with private clients on -on one-on-one coaching, which at the end of every session, I'm just floating. Like, I just love it. Um, And then I also go into businesses and I talk about topics from overcoming anxiety in the workplace, setting boundaries in the workplace, start finding your purpose, all the way through to time management, how to 
be a good manager, um, you know, because you get promoted to be a manager because you're good at the tasks, but it doesn't necessarily mean you know how to lead a team or, you know, manage someone else's to-do list, let alone your own. So more tangible businessy skills tied in with skills that I frame it as all together, it creates burnout prevention. And that obviously benefits the bottom line, which again feeds back into my kind of masculine business mind that I have and love to satiate as well but I guess it also draws on that love of books and reading is like I love human stories and so being so privileged is to listen to people's experiences and hold space for them and allow them an hour of feeling seen and feeling heard because I really believe that's all human beings want is to feel seen and feel heard and so to offer that space for people is just the biggest privilege and every time I get the opportunity to do any of this work Like I can genuinely say hand on heart, I love working every single day. And I just know I finally found my thing and this is it. I'm just, it will evolve as I evolve. It will grow as I grow. But this is the channel that I choose to show up on this world and be of service. And I'm opening a membership club called the A Club to create community around all of these aspects to help people you know, if their if their work is not going to invest in these services, then it's a way that they can affordably invest in themselves to learn those skills, have access to me if they can't commit to one-on-one coaching. And yeah, I just believe being of service is the most important thing we can do as people. And actually it's totally selfish because boosts my self-esteem, gives me purpose, gives me a reason to get up in the morning. And so, yeah, being of service is actually a totally selfish endeavor, but it is the foundation of everything that I do now. I mostly do work with women. I don't, my service offering is not aimed at just women, but I mostly work with women. And I think it's around, you know, what we were talking about before we started recording about clarity. And I know you're going to ask me this separately, so I'm trying to not answer it. It's okay. But, <laughs> um, just flow, just flow. Okay. So to me, what ind- independence is, is having a self-esteem. And the way that I differentiate between a self-esteem and an ego. So an ego is huge and tiny at the same time, but it's very fragile. So I imagine it as this like shatter glass that they use in movies that looks like normal glass, but it shatters like really easily. And I... I view my ego like that. And it's like this bubble around me. It stops people from getting close. It appears to be a protective material around me to keep me safe. But actually someone could just, one wrong word that hits on an insecurity and my protective bubble will shatter. One difficult thing, you know, not with malice from any person, but just with life, it will shatter. A self-esteem is built, I view it as a brick wall and it is built with one esteemable action being a brick. So every esteemable thing that I do, just doing the next right thing, being a good person, being of service, I lay another brick on my self-esteem wall. And then that has built over the years of doing this work to be a big wall. And so now when those curveballs happen, if someone treats me unkindly, um, I won't say unfairly because you know, I'm always willing to own my part, but unkindly and it rattles me or if something shit happens in life as it inevitably does, I can actually lean on my wall and it's it's strong enough to take my weight and keep me upright. And it means that I really know who I am and my worth. And I think with that can literally achieve anything that I set my mind to. And as women, I really think this sensation of being worthy of love 
of success, you know, of promotions, of financial abundance. There's so much that society and our own inner mean girl um, tells us that says you're not allowed all of those things. Says who? Like, yes, you are, but it has to come from within. Like, I can't force you to believe that. I've got so many friends that I'm like, I wish you saw you how I see you because you wouldn't say those nasty things to yourself then. So how my work helps with that view of what independence is, is really just trying to strengthen the core of people so that they can then go on and do whatever they want. You know, I've worked with clients through the the one-on-one coaching. I've talked about things from insecurity in their marriage, which they recognized was fully one-sided and their husband had never given them any reason to have these doubts. And so we worked on what, where that, okay, we didn't work on where that comes from because that would be therapy. We worked on what they can do to show their husband moving forward, that they do trust them and to empower themselves to trust them. Another one was someone kept on procrastinating with taking their driving test. Okay, so where does that come (laughs) from? Like what, it's just, I say that to say it's such a range, but actually if you have the belief that you are worthy of being a good driver on the roads, that you are worthy of that form of independence, that you are worthy of the freedom to not live in fear in your marriage, then life is just so much sweeter. And you can then, you know, bringing it back to those three pillars, you can enjoy the pleasure. You can have that freedom and that independence. So yeah, I think any way of digesting the work that I do will improve or works towards independence through viewing it as um, the freedom that comes from a strong self-esteem. I'm like furiously nodding. (laughs) (laughs) One of those like nodding dogs on a car dashboard. I mean, just so many gems. One question before we move on, just going back to your personal story which is obviously like I can't even imagine that's just yeah how do you come back from something like that like you talked about how you went from looking outside your window looking at the sun what are the practical things that you actually did so obviously there was a huge amount of mindset work I imagine and kind of deep personal work that you had to do but what are the I don't know if if someone is in that situation Mm. what would you say to them and again from a kind of resource perspective one thing I'm really passionate about is that even if it's not to the extreme of your experience, a lot of times the resource and the access to the support, like therapy, like it's expensive. So I guess what would you suggest or what would you recommend or what was the kind of main thing that you think helped you during that really, really dark period to get out of it and then onto that next stage of your life? So through the really darkest abyss of that experience, basically every chapter of struggle during that time taught me a different life lesson so the darkest hour taught me how to ask for help so the year prior to getting sick as an example I moved house from my first place I lived in in Sydney to the second and I got ubers with bags like multiple (laughs) bags I got an uber to the new place and then I would empty the bags into the room like literally just empty the suitcases and the carrier bags and then I would get on the train and I would go back to the old house and I would do it again. And I had friends, I had a community that I could have asked. I did not know how to ask for help. I, you know, actually this is a great point for the theme of the podcast. Like that's not independence. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to do life alone. It takes a village even to nurture an adult. So that's how bad I was at it. Fast forward to barely being able to get to the toilet by yourself. There were days where I couldn't feed myself. My friend would have to 
put food on a fork and put it in my mouth because I couldn't lift my arm. So like, yeah, I had to learn to ask for help. And that's how I got through the really, 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 really dark bit. And I was so fortunate to have people in my life who didn't come in and try and fix it. They just let it be shit. Because it was, it was fucking terrible. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And there were times where I was losing hope and they didn't say, it's gonna be okay, Hannah. Like you'll get through it. It's all gonna be sunshine and roses. They didn't really say anything. They just held space and I could feel their love and I was allowed to be miserable and fucking hopeless. And that was just such an enormous gift. And then the biggest tool that I learned was acceptance. So accepting that that is the situation. The pain came from not wanting my reality to be my reality. So as soon as I accepted it, you lose that friction and your ability to get through each day is so much smoother. I only ever have to deal with one day at a time with anything. The only, or really one minute, like for being really intentional and present about it. Like right now, the only thing I need to deal with is showing up as my best self and doing a a good uh, justice to your podcast. That I don't need to worry about anything else. That is all that is required of me in this moment. And when I was sick, like I just learned how to keep it in the day. And then the more tangible tools was how to, well, they're kind of tangible and not, but what came of it, and this is something I just drill home in everything that I talk about, is what I have dubbed the health triangle. So that is physical, mental, and spiritual. Physical means I have to fucking look after this flesh suit that I was born into and stop (laughs) taking it for granted, which I did for so many years. You know, I had disordered eating when I was a teenager. Then I partied so hard that I like wasn't sleeping, going to work with no sleep. And I would have been malnourished because I lived off beer and pizza and cigarettes. Like I was not looking after this body. So now I move in some way every day. I eat nutritious food and I'm not restrictive about it at all with food because of where I've come from with food. I like being a pleasure seeker. I love food. But my taste buds have actually changed over the years because I enjoy the nourishing food now. Like I'm a huge chocoholic, always have been. And now I don't really like milk chocolate. I love dark chocolate. That's just one example. I used to live off milk chocolate, but I don't even really like it anymore. And I think you just evolve when you make those good choices for yourself. Mental, it means doing things like reading and writing for me because that is mental stimulation that fuels me. It also means doing things that I know will support my mental health. I'm really, really lucky and grateful that I don't struggle with my mental health day to day anymore but I have the tools in place I know how to ask for help yeah and I'm I'm able to recognize the signs early I also learned a lot about my hormones and stuff which has a huge part to play in I guess the dips in mood and so on um so I've become a lot more attuned in tune to my cycle so I can work with it and yeah, I just, I really try and keep it simple. And then spiritual, I do have spiritual practices, but if people find that a turn off word, I try and describe it as the soul. So you've got your physical health, your mental health, and then your soul health. Like, are you spending time with people that light you up from the inside? You know, there are some friends I have that when I go for dinner with them and I'm walking home afterwards, I feel unstoppable. I feel like I can achieve anything. I feel creatively inspired. 
like, yeah, come on world, I can do it. <laughs> because I've spent time with someone who is doing inspiring things in their life, challenges me to be a better person and believes I'm capable of that. And that is fucking cool. So yeah, that's soul work. Like, am I spending time with those people? Am I, if I'm constantly the smartest person in a room, I'm in the wrong room and I'm not gonna grow. So I gotta be around inspiring and people that are willing to challenge me and say like, actually Hannah, you didn't make a good call there. Like you can do better. You know, when you get a little bit lazy with your morals. <laughs> and then for me, it's meditation, it's prayer, it's journaling, it is the inner work. Like it's never done. It is a constant work in progress. So looking after mental, physical and spiritual has to be number one. It has to be number one before my marriage, before my friendships, before my career. Has to be number one. And then I'm able to show up as the best version of myself that I've learned who she is over those years I explained before. And I then have like the mantra of like, I just wanna wear life like a loose garment. I wanna cruise. I love working hard, but I don't work fast. I move with intention and I don't rush. Like I, I'm a bit of a sloth, but I do so much. I get so much done in a day, but I just move really gently. And I have to do that because of my nervous system. I can't drink caffeine. Like I, well, I, ha- I occasionally will have black tea that does have some caffeine in it, but I can't drink coffee. I used to live off coffee. That was my fuel to get through the day. Disgusting amounts. Um, but now if I have any, it does the reverse. It's like it trips a wire in my system. And I, if I have a coffee a day for two weeks, I will collapse. It's that bad. So I really just have to be serious about it. Actually, no, I'm gonna take that word back. I'm not serious about it, but I just have to be consistent. That is such a key word. So, okay, back to your question. What advice would I give anyone that was going through that right now? Acceptance, keep it in the day. Do the inner work as part of your physical, mental and spiritual because I really believe our physiological well-being is linked to trauma. We store that in ourselves. It's been proven scientifically and it has major repercussions for our well-being. Look after all three aspects and then just do the next right thing. Move slowly, move with love for yourself and others. And it's just, it's like, it's choosing light over darkness and it eventually does fall into place. Beautiful. I feel like we've probably covered off a little bit of this, but as someone who works in, I would actually argue across my kind of three pillars of health, work and money, because I feel like what you do actually impacts arguably every aspect of your life. What's your perspective on the current situation for women in your sector or in your specialty? And what do you think needs to change? How can we go about improving things? It might be because of the age I'm at and seeing what's going on for my friends around me. But my biggest pet peeve in the professional world is that there's all this, you know, female empowerment rhetoric out there. And yet there's so many companies that don't offer good enough maternity packages. So my last company doesn't have one. Um, It's just statutory, which like, thank God we have that, but it's, it would cover nappies and that would be it basically. It's just not good enough. And then, and that comes from an industry that is predominantly female, female run, female operated. And I just think it's bullshit. I re- it really angers me that we have, I, I even find the whole biology behind it that like, you know, I've just started a business. I love it. I want to keep growing it. And at some point in the not too distant future, if I'm blessed enough, if we're blessed enough, you know, I'm gonna have to take my foot off the pedal for a couple of years, probably. Um, hopefully not. I'm intentionally building a business. That means I can do both. But 
I see it with my friends. So one of my friends works in fintech. She is phenomenal at what she does and she lives and breathes her work probably too much a little bit, but she's incredible and successful and driven. And that is, it brings her a lot of joy. She is going to give birth in, I don't know, six weeks probably. And it's like a hard pill to swallow that like her husband's career is going to keep fast forwarding. And she had to make really hard decisions over the job that she's in now, leaving a job that had a better maternity package. But this one had more other things that were exciting her. And it was a back and forth in her mind, knowing that that's where her and her husband were headed to start a family. I just think it's so crap that we have to juggle all of this and that it's not well catered for. I also think there's a huge responsibility for men to take paternity leave when it's on offer because it levels the playing field. Someone was telling me, my friend who's a lawyer, that she um, had a colleague at work, a male partner was talking to a female partner who was pregnant. And he said to her, I'm so sorry to hear we're losing you. She said, what do you mean losing me? And he said, (laughs) you're dying. (laughs) And he pointed at at the bump and she said, I'm only taking maternity, like I'm not leaving the company. And he was like, oh yeah. And then it came up in conversation that she was having twins and he was like pretty resolved at the fact that the company was losing her. Like she wouldn't be able to do both. And it's just little, that might not sound to a man like a big deal, but it's little micro comments like that that just make you feel less than or not less deserving because that's not how it feels. It feels like you're not gonna be allowed you know, like you're forbidden to to continue succeeding at the rate you were before being a mother. I'm saying this all as someone who doesn't have children and isn't pregnant, but I think just witnessing it around me and it was something that really upset me in my in my last job, hearing them spout off about how great it was in other companies doing good things when knowing they don't have packages, it made me angry. <laughs> and now that I work with people, you know, to live purpose aligned and really beautiful whole lives, everything I do is about satiating all areas of your life in a sustainable way. So su- succeeding personally, professionally, financially, health, fun, family, like relationships, succeeding across all of them in a sustainable manner. It is harder as a woman that doesn't have support from their employer and their society to be able to look after all of those different pillars and it affects the bottom line it affects productivity and it affects being able to be present as a parent as a partner so yeah that is my answer (laughs) (laughs) that's a good answer you sort of answered this already but I'm just gonna in case there was something else what does independence mean to you for me it is having self-esteem that empowers a person to feel worthy of anything and everything. And that is complicated with the different prejudice out there in the world that different cross sections of society have to go through. Different minorities will have different obstacles to face in terms of achieving a place of feeling worthy. I wish that for everyone, but I understand that it's easier to feel worthy as a middle-class white woman versus someone else who you know maybe is across a number of different minorities and is being told left right and center by society that they are not not just worthy but allowed you know in their spaces or to enjoy those different types of success so I recognize that it is complicated and it is nuanced and there is no I can't just say to someone like you know get up and say a prayer each day and like you'll be fine you know I I get it as much as I can without it being my lived experience but I do believe independence will come 
for each person as an individual when they know who they are, they know what their values are, they put their health and well-being first because no one else is going to do it for you. And they can build that really beautiful, solid brick wall of a self-esteem. I love the brick wall analogy. <laughs> I feel I like it's very wall. visual. I love it. Yeah. Amazing. What's the one thing you'd recommend to your younger self or to people looking to embrace their authentic self and their purpose and follow what they actually want to do in life? It's a big question. I'm going to answer it in two parts because I think there's like different points there. So what I would say to my younger self is, and I've had to do a lot of work about letting go of the pain from yesteryear and how to not feel so sad. I couldn't talk about my teenage years without crying for a long time, but I have healed those wounds and no longer feel that way. But what I would say to her is choose the light. I existed in the darkness for so long and I won't say I regret it because it taught me so much and, you know, brought me to be able to do the work that I'm doing today and live the life that I I lead. But it breaks my heart a little bit that I did. I kind of reveled in the darkness too, you know. I felt safe there. I felt comfortable there is what I knew. But I would say choose the light choose the light, choose the light. And that that muscle that I have now to choose the light brings me so much joy. You know, it's brought me the most beautiful relationship that I couldn't, not for lack of wanting, I couldn't grasp before. And a career that just, I just cannot explain how much I love what I do, to enjoying taking care of my body and doing it in a loving way, not a mean way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it just makes everything more beautiful. So I would say choose the light. And then seeking your purpose and doing what you want with your life, it takes work. It takes work. I created a workbook on that subject, which I'm not meaning to pitch. um, Plug away. But it does... (laughs) It does take a lot of work and a lot of introspection, a lot of, for me, what I would get my clients to do is like writing out your dream 24 hours in a normal day, not a like Disneyland day, like uh, I have work to do day. But what does that look like? How can you start acting out parts of what your vision, what your dream is now? So an example of that is in my vision, uh, me and my husband are moving to Australia to do the next chapter of life there. And I really want to live by the water. I really want to live by the ocean. It's something that means a lot to me. Part of my vision or my dream 24 hours is getting up in the morning and doing exercise overlooking the water. Earlier in the summer, I was working with a PT who's a friend of mine. Um, hashtag bodies by Ollie. He wants me to tell him <laughs> He was like, if anyone ever gives you a compliment from now on, you need to say bodies by Ollie. I'm like, okay, bodies by Ollie. And... Yeah, we were training in the place in the park that he chose to train us. There's a pond. And I looked up one morning when we were doing a little boxing. And I was like, holy shit. I am exercising in the morning overlooking water. And yeah, it's not like my big Aussie dream being in Clapham Common. But I was literally acting out a part of my dream life. And I skipped home. I was ecstatic, you know, living the dream. So yeah, do the work. And then my my thing about purpose that I try and explain to people as well is that I'm, I'm sure people know this, but that everyone's purpose is different. There's no right or wrong, but it's not a job. A purpose is your why and your fire in your belly. It's not a job. So someone's purpose could be that they really love helping young people feel empowered and learn the tools to take them on to their next chapter, whatever that may be. So an obvious profession to align with that purpose is being a teacher. 
really obvious you know they get to work with young people every single day and they are literally helping them along that journey but what if you're an accountant and you realize that's what your purpose is should you quit your job should you let go of all of that hard work and training that you did to become an accountant and maybe you like the company you work for but you're just feeling a little like lackluster and a little less a little unsatiated because you're not aligned with your purpose i would say to them what can you do in that job to align with your purpose you could start a mentoring scheme. You could even go way smaller and zoom in and find one junior in your company, in your team, take them under your wing and invest in that person through time. And that will nourish your purpose. You will then be living a purpose aligned life. So uncovering your purpose is not like a light bulb moment of going, I'm going to be a life coach now. It is about, you know, my purpose is being of service and helping people understand themselves to then live a life of freedom you know i've got it written down somewhere more eloquent than that but it's holding space for people and making them feel seen and allowing them to go on that journey and helping them along the way i can do that in so many different ways there are so many different ways i could be in a corporate environment and do a podcast that does that and that would satiate my purpose in fact i did do that so yeah don't think too literally about realizing your purpose would be my advice I love it. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, you've talked about your business, where can they go? How can they follow you? How can we learn more about everything you're doing? So I share a lot about everything on Instagram. My handle is at Hanjamran, which is first three letters of my names with my maiden name. And then I'm also at the Actualization Academy, but I would recommend going to my website, which is www.theactualizationacademy.com. Um, and there you can read about what I offer, private clients, the workshops I do. And, you know, if you really want, you could come and be a, a member of the A-Club because I delve much more deeply into kind of everything we've talked about here with monthly masterclasses and group coaching and so much more. So... Yeah, if you want more, go to the website. (laughs) Amazing. Hannah, thank you so much. This has been the most inspiring, incredible. I feel very full of love and gratitude for your vulnerability and your openness and just, yeah, for everything you're doing. So thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for the opportunity and the great questions. It's been a joy. It's been awesome. Yay. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Independent Life. For more inspiring conversations, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts where we have more for you to enjoy. If you liked this episode and want to help spread the word, please do rate, review and share with your community. We love seeing you share the love, so feel free to tag us using at This Independent Life. For more information on other This Independent Life activities, or if you have any requests for who you'd like to see on the podcast in future, check out our website at thisindependentlife.co and subscribe to our newsletter. Message us on Instagram or get in touch at rebecca at thisindependentlife.co. DMs are always welcome. I hope this podcast has helped you feel inspired to embrace this independent life, whatever that may look like for you. Until next time, I'm Rebecca Lloyd and you've been listening to This Independent Life. Thank you.